0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at Antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening.: Hello, Antioch. My name is Amy, and I am one of the pastors here. Anyone else pretty thrilled that this is our last digital liturgy of this season? I can't wait to be with you all in person next Sunday. Even with masks and keeping our distance from each other, I'll take it. For our message today, I've chosen to focus on the gospel text that my mom, Phyllis, just read for us. It is such good news. The message Jesus gives here is one that has sustained me this year, and I'm pretty happy to get to share it with you. I want everyone to know that we have all we need in Jesus to live an abundant life, And by abundant, I'm speaking of God's definition, not the world's. Abundance doesn't come from things or achievements. And abundance isn't only for some, it is for all of us. And it doesn't always look abundant to someone looking in. But no matter how it looks to the world, no matter what circumstances come our way, we really can live in a way that satisfies us abundantly. In last week's liturgy, Michelle Jones gave us a beautiful message on Psalm 23. She helped us understand this familiar psalm on a new level, teaching us a bit about the type of literature that David used, which in this case was poetry. In a poem, the message is often circular, repeated over and over with powerful imagery that brings out our emotions. And those emotions then help the poem stick in our mind. In our passage today, instead of poetry, Jesus is using a type of storytelling called an allegory to help us understand the difference between the type of abundant life he is offering and the kind of life we strive for on our own. Using an allegory is a way of telling a story about something common, like gardening, to help people grasp an idea that's less common, like how to live an abundant life. In these eight verses, by thinking about what we know about vines and gardening, we learn that we have everything we need right now to live an abundant life by Jesus' definition. Really. Really. Let's go through them together one at a time. Sound good? But first, some background. We sort of have two authors of this passage. The actual words we are reading were spoken by Jesus to his disciples in the hours before his crucifixion. But the author of this gospel is John. He chose which stories and words of Jesus to include in this book. So we are hearing from Jesus today, but only because John wanted us, future readers of his gospel, to hear this story. We know John as he describes himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Clearly, John got it. He knew that abundance came from focusing on Jesus. He wasn't drawing his sense of value and identity from wealth or achievements, but exclusively from the love that Jesus had for him. John is giving us a gift by relaying this story to us. He wants us to know what Jesus offers. It is so much more than what we can find on our own. Will you pray with me as we begin? Father God, we come before you eager to learn, eager to be transformed by your great love for us. Open our ears to hear from you this morning. Amen. In verse one, we read, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. You can see how the allegory works right away in this first verse. Jesus wants to tell us something. And he's choosing to use an image that his listeners were familiar with. Middle Easterners in Jesus' day were surrounded by vines. There were vineyards. There was wine on the table. There were carvings of vines on the temple and on houses. The image was even on the money. As Jesus was speaking these words, he and the disciples were outside on their way to Gethsemane. Likely they passed by a vineyard. So Jesus opens his story with an incredibly bold I am statement. I am the vine. If we were among our, the first century audience who heard this statement, we would be blown away. Why? Because Israel as a people have been the vine biblically for centuries. In Isaiah 5:7, it says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. Jesus is cluing everyone into a big shift here. He's doing something new. Israel was just a foreshadowing of Jesus. Heaven is breaking open, and Jesus is extending the beauty of abundant life to all who follow him. He's telling a new story, a story where Jesus becomes all that we need. Jesus knew this was a hard concept to grasp, and that's why he's giving us this allegory, this picture of something that we can understand so we can start to get the deeper idea that he wants us to know. Along with establishing himself as a vine, Jesus asks us to see God the Father as the gardener. We all know that the work of the gardener is to keep plants healthy and productive. In my neighborhood, there are some beautiful front yards, and I see my neighbors out checking for weeds, trimming their plants. Their hard work pays off every year with flowers for everyone to enjoy. These gardens don't happen by chance. They come about because of care and attention and knowledge. A successful gardener knows their plants well, every branch. And the gardener in our story today is no different. He knows his vine and its branches intimately. Moving on to verse 2, we begin to see how important this is. A gardener really does need to know his vines. We read, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. The gardener must know which branches bear fruit and which don't. He has to know where to trim and where to leave it alone. Anyone else have some experience with trimming a plant at the wrong time of year or cutting off the wrong branch? Anyone? Just me? The worst was the year I trimmed my huge lilac bush at the exact time to ensure that it would now produce zero flowers. Oops. Pruning and trimming plants well requires knowledge, attention, and skill. I did some reading about grapevines and the type of care they need so that they produce the maximum crop. If unproductive branches aren't trimmed away, they crowd out the fruitful branches. They block the sun, steal the nutrients. It's like they are a distraction for the vine, keeping it from doing all that it was created to do. And if a productive branch is skillfully pruned back, it'll produce even more fruit. The trimming and the pruning bring life. Remember that in this passage, Jesus is giving us a story we can easily understand so that we can then understand something deeper and more complex. So, so far, he's given us a vine, a gardener, and some branches, some of them productive, some not so productive. The vine and the branches are dependent on the gardener's care. Jesus is using the vineyard to teach us about relationships and dependence. As we look at verse 3, remember the time and place that Jesus is talking. These are the last moments with his followers before he will be arrested. I read such compassion and tenderness in this verse. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. The disciples must have been so confused and anxious. They had just been in the upper room with Jesus where he had washed their feet, predicted the betrayal coming, told them repeatedly that he was leaving, Serve them what we now call the Last Supper, and is now walking with them, telling them a story about vines and branches. I imagine quite a bit of stress and anxiety brewing. This verse is a radical reassurance. For these first century people, being clean meant keeping to rigid laws and customs. No one could just be clean without a lot of personal effort. Jesus is turning this concept on its head. No longer is cleanliness something a person must attain based on their own hard work. With Jesus as the true vine, cleanliness comes from being in his presence. That's it. Are you starting to see why he chose the image of a vine and branches? Branches don't do anything other than stay attached to the vine. If they produce fruit, it's because of the health of the vine and the skill of the gardener. Jesus is compassionately giving his disciples this story as a gift. They really are clean. They have everything they need all because of the time they've spent with Jesus, listening, observing, living day to day, just being, not doing. By understanding the relationship between branches, vine, and gardener, we can see abundant living in a new Christ-centered light. The abundance the disciples were experiencing didn't look like what the world would call abundance. They didn't have beautiful homes or healthy investment accounts. But they did have three years of experience of remaining in Jesus. And he was promising them that this was all they needed. Continuing the allegory in verse 4, Jesus encourages us to remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. We are to remain in Jesus like a branch, remains on the vine. We, like a detached branch, can't bear fruit if we don't remain in Jesus. I don't think any of us would argue with this image. Picture a branch cut from the vine laying on the ground. It isn't going to bear fruit. So what does this mean for us? How do we do this? Following the story, it seems like we need to be as a branch is to a vine, attached and dependent on the nourishment the vine has. I've had the great joy of praying with a group of women every week for the last 52 weeks, one year of weekly Zooms. Every week we pray through a series of written prayers, we read a psalm, and then we sit in silence. Through the prayers, the psalm, and the silence, we are all listening to hear whatever it is Jesus has to tell us that morning. We're remaining in Jesus for an hour every Thursday, all of us together. And Jesus meets us there every week, speaking to us, prompting us to share with each other, consistently we learn that we really do have all we need. We get to see the fruit that Jesus is growing in each of us, the kind of fruit that comes from the inside, the peace of trusting in God's plans and timing, the joy of receiving God's absolute love and acceptance of us just as we are, the gratitude that comes with being filled up by the Holy Spirit, and the love that rises up when we see the image of God in each other and can rejoice in the work that God is doing in each of us. The kind of fruit that results in Christ-like character. This is the kind of character that leads to abundance, even when the circumstances get difficult. Most of you know that this year has been a hard one so far for me. My divorce was final a couple of weeks ago, and while I've grieved this painful loss, I've also been completely surprised at the presence of peace and joy in my life right in the middle of the grief. God continues to meet me, to remain in me, as I remain in him. My story is one of loss, yeah, but also of abundance. I can't count the number of times over these last five months when I literally feel the peace and compassion and love of God wash over me. These experiences have sustained me, and I in turn have been able to share this fruit with others, and that feels like abundant life to me. In verse 5, Jesus has a warning for us. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He's driving the point home and giving us pause here. We were created to be dependent. Apart from Jesus, we can't do anything. This is pretty countercultural message for us in America, right? We are a proud, independent culture. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We are self-made. We can do it ourselves. Thank you very much. We as a culture recoil at being dependent. Antioch, this isn't what Jesus calls us to. He is calling us to absolute dependence. Absolute. What does this kind of reliance look like? In my life, it has looked like admitting that I can trust God enough to let him do some pruning. God has been gardening away at my soul a great deal over the last few years. I think he would have begun his work sooner if I'd been willing and trusting enough, but I wasn't. It is scary to let go of patterns and habits that we think bring us identity and security. I thought my identity was in my introverted personality. I was quiet and reserved in group settings, There were all kinds of thoughts and ideas bubbling up in my mind, but I kept them there, justifying my silence as just a part of my unique personality. Keeping my thoughts to myself was my identity, and I thought it gave me security. But God's words began to get to me, though. He wanted to use me to bring Him glory. How could this happen if I kept things so locked down and hidden? I began to trust in His nudging and started to share more of the work He was doing in me, I found that my words and my experiences encouraged other people to trust in God and seek more of His work in their life. The identity and security I had clung to for so long has been getting pruned away and is being replaced with fruit, the fruit that comes from trusting God. It's a process and it isn't easy, but the joy of those moments when I feel like I get it far outweigh the struggle. This sermon today is a big step in continuing to trust God and speak to the work he's been doing in me. In verse 6, Jesus increases his warning language. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Really, if we don't remain in him, if we don't abide and draw our direction and purpose from him, we aren't going to produce fruit. The wood of grapevines is soft. It isn't useful for anything other than sustaining grapes. So if it isn't doing that, if it is fruitless or laying on the ground, the only thing to do with it is to burn it up and dispose of it. Jesus is using an extreme image to make his point. Just like a branch on a vine has only one purpose, to bear literal fruit, so do we only have one purpose, to bear figurative fruit. We weren't created to achieve wealth or have an impressive career or a beautiful family or any other achievement that comes from our own efforts. Jesus is imploring us to get this. We were created to become more like Jesus. Our lives are a series of opportunities to live like Jesus, selfless, dependent, and full of love. We can't do this at all unless we are dependent on him. Are you trying to bear fruit on your own, detached from Jesus? Are you trying to find life through your own independent efforts? Jesus is giving us such important advice here. He's giving us the secret to real abundance. It doesn't come from our independent striving and doing. It comes from being. This is so hard for us, self-made, scrappy, independent Americans. We are responsible only for being dependent on that vine. We have to remain attached, abide. A mature, abundant, joyful Christian is one who is absolutely dependent. This is so countercultural. We have to draw our strength, sustenance, identity, and worth from the vine. If you want to experience the kind of abundance that Jesus offers, stay close and let the nutrients and nourishment of the vine grow you. And then, just as important, let the gardener prune you in such a way that you bear more fruit each passing year. Just like a branch, we will be fruitful if we remain in Jesus and allow God to trim us back here and there. This past year has forced so much pruning in all of our lives. So much was canceled. Our calendars have never looked so empty. As we move towards a new normal, are there activities or commitments that you had to let go of that maybe God used to grow your character? Pay attention to where you drew your identity and security from in the old days. Pray for God to show you the areas in your soul that he is longing to continue making more fruitful by his definition. Verses 7 and 8 together beautifully express the abundance that Jesus is telling us we have access to. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples i'm guessing that it is maybe tempting to stop at verse 7 with the promise that whatever we wish for will be granted to us sort of like a genie in a bottle right but verse 8 is the other half of this promise if we are truly abiding in christ of course whatever we wish for will be granted because whatever we wish for will bring glory to God in the form of the fruit that we bear. In this allegory, Jesus is clear. Our purpose in life is to bear fruit, just like a grapevine. There isn't any wiggle room here. We are created solely for the purpose of maturing into people whose lives bring God glory. This is how we are known to be as disciples. Just like a grapevine cannot bear bananas... So we too cannot expect God to grow in us anything that doesn't point to Jesus. The disciples modeled this for us by literally aligning their lives with Jesus. They left family and jobs. They could only identify as disciples. There was nothing else to identify as. And they could only rely on their security in Jesus. There was nothing else to depend on. Does this mean we need to leave our families and jobs and read the Bible and pray 24-7? No, I don't think so. But I do think it means we need to leave our families and jobs in the sense that they are crowding out our dependence on God. Unpruned grapevines grow wild and produce loads of beautiful leaves. They look pretty and healthy, but they don't bear fruit. I think sometimes our lives are like this too. From the outside, things look good, productive, healthy even. But on the inside, our souls are withering. We are withering because we aren't living as we were created to. God created us to live in such a way that our love and joy and peace overflow and infect everyone around us. We aren't created to just serve ourselves, to create safe and comfortable lives for ourselves and those we easily love. We are here to live abundantly, as God defines the term, to see the imago Dei, the image of God in every human being to find joy in partnering with God in the reconciliation of all things, to abide in Jesus, to lay down our striving and our independence, only then will our lives point to Jesus. Only then will we bear the kind of fruit that God will use to bring his kingdom here on earth. It seems like a tall order, but remember, we are the branches. Jesus is the vine. He provides the nourishment we need. And God the Father, He's our caretaker, our gardener. He knows us. He cherishes us. He wants nothing more than to see us grow. Jesus modeled asking what you wish for from a place of dependence on God when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested. He prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. God the Father met Jesus there in that prayer. He gave him all that was needed to face what was to come. In Hebrews we read, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. God met Jesus in his distress and showed him joy. Jesus expressed his humanity beautifully. He was scared. He brought his honest fear before a father he trusted and knew and then asked for what he wished, ultimately that God's will be done. He was so firmly dependent on God that his wishes aligned with God's will perfectly. What he asked for happened. God's will was accomplished because Jesus remained dependent. I love this example. We have absolute permission to bring our fears and insecurities before God and lay them down. Then take a deep breath and let God align our desires with his. In this way, our lives stand as a testimony to God's goodness. In my Thursday morning prayer group, we have weathered some scary moments together, and yet at the end of our hour each week, we consistently come to a place of peace that can only be found in trusting God's work in each of our lives. Antioch, you are my church family, and I adore you. My challenge to you today is that we continue to be a people who remain in Christ. Let's keep digging into scripture and praying for new and deeper understanding. Let's keep taking the time to be silent before a God who loves us and knows us and wants nothing more than to prune us in ways that bring about abundant fruit. May we be a people who draw others to Jesus, who point with joy to the unique God-defined abundance that can come only from remaining in him, the one true vine. See you at Drake Park next Sunday. Can't wait.